0: Attempting to lure us into purchasing something that we don't really want or don't really need. Like the men with their toys and the girls with their shopping list, right? And we're offered this beautiful gift and a great deal and we're sucked into it. Then we find out it's not such a great deal after all. And when we're offered something beyond our wildest dream, we too too easily wonder what's in it for them. We begin to become a cynic. Anybody a cynic in here? Say, this deal is too good to be true. So what are they trying to get from me? And this is called cynicism. And cynicism is an inclination that people are being motivated by purely by self interest. So we don't trust people. So cynicism leads to a society that is full of mistrust. We don't trust each other. We don't We don't trust our teachers. We don't trust our preachers. We don't trust our politicians. We trust no one. No one. Paul's ministry now as we move into chapter 2 is a ministry under the microscope of cynicism and Thessalonica. The voices are coming from outside of the church, speaking to the church there. And these outside influences are starting to mold and shape the people That Paul just brought to faith in Christ Jesus. It's easy to give up and lose hope thinking that we have been duped or God has gone back on his promises. Or his promises aren't always yes in Christ Jesus and amen in him. We'll rather listen to the voices of the cynics than listen to the voice of truth. To the voice of Jesus Christ. The word incarnate that moved in our world and has come into our lives through the gift of the Holy Spirit. There seems to be some rumors by these cynics and these voices in Thessalonica of Paul's motives for ministry. He begins to prepare his defense against those opposing voices. He begins to prepare a defense to remind the church at Thessalonica that his life in Christ is one of suffering. It's not all rivalry. It's not just a piece of cake. His life in Christ is one of suffering and pain from the voices that come to assail the body of Jesus Christ. He's been in imprisonment. He's been suffering. He's been whipped. He has nothing in common with the hustlers, with the sharp-tongued salesmen of his day in the ancient world. So, Christopher be informed by and participating in the life Death, resurrection, and the reign of Christ. We reign with Him. Hallelujah. We reign with Him. This is not just a, a you know, a come see, come saw type of a faith that we have. We reign with Christ. He is Lord of all. So, there we go. Yeah, push the next slide for me. A life of Christian persists against pressure and pain, the first two verses. But let's pray this prayer together before we move further along in the message. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord, amen. What beautiful words that question our motives. What beautiful words to caution us that we, God sees all. It's all an open book before him. You can't hide. He can't hide. So Paul begins to prepare his ministry here. A life of Christophore, he persists against pressure and pain. He begins with the words, you know. You know. You know my life. You know my ministry. You know my life. You know how I lived amongst you. And he brings them back. A little bit of an echo here. He brings him back to the situation in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Because he goes to Thessalonica in chapter 17. And we have discussed that passage in Acts chapter 16. Him and Silas are preaching the gospel. And then they're thrown into prison. And then they sing a song. And then there's a, a prison revival that takes place. And then God intervenes. And God saves the jailer in the midst of all that. But he was severely beaten. Sodom is in him. They weren't just thrown into prison, thrown some handcuffs on and just dragged into prison. They were beaten. They were beaten. So they're full of blood. And, and, and they got scars all over the place. And yet, they praised the Lord for that. So he says, tells the Thessalonians, you know what happened to us. What do you think? I'm trying to sell you something on a scam and just get through to you so I can make a profit from you? He says, no way. You know. You know my scars. As you know, the scars of Christ. And they make their way to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. And, the, and there they, they, they cause another mini revival to take place. And they're coming after Paul and Silas. And they take off to Berea. And then they pick up Jason. Remember Jason? He's in that story in Acts chapter 17. And, and then they bring him to the prison or they bring him to the justice there, the magistrate. And they're accused. Of declaring somebody else as king rather than the Caesar. That's the accusation. That's the gospel. Jesus is king. You reign with him because he reigns over all. That's our position in Jesus Christ. So it's God who led them from danger in Philippi to an even greater risk of coming to Thessalonica, where they turned the world upside down. Do you still believe that God can turn the world upside down? for his glory, for his honor, for the advancement of his kingdom. He gives credit to where credit is due. We've been approved not by man. We've been approved by God. God has approved us. We have the seal of God, not on a shirt or on a jersey like a sports team. We have it in our hearts, the seal of God. And through the scars of shame,
1: Paul is an entourage. Because this should really say, Should really say Paul's team. It's Paul's team. It's Silas. It's Timothy. And so on. Savior who wouldn't give up and died in our
0: place? How can we give up on a Christ who wouldn't give up and went to the cross, not that polished cross, but the old one, full of blood, scarred, nailed? How can we give up on him when he wouldn't give up on us? How do pastors and missionaries continue to proclaim Christ when all it produces in their ministry is criticism and cynicism and violent reactions? In their congregations and in the mission fields and in the society. How could they go on? It's called the grace of God. Right. It's the grace of Even
1: God. Grace.
0: He went on and he planted the church in Thessalonica, and he's proud of that church. And he's a little bit upset now because those cynic voices are, are speaking and those philosophers are speaking, the ones that flatter people so that they can line up their pockets with the people's money. So Paul goes on Christ as King in a hostile world that doesn't want to hear the message. Hello? Isn't that where we are? They don't want to hear the message. They don't want to hear it. If Paul was in it for the money, why would he receive such extreme beatings? Being ridiculed, prison. Just go to chapter 2, I mean chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians and you find a whole list there. Beaten with rods, stones, shipwrecked, thrown in prison, hungry, famine, left behind, left for dead. And yet he went on. He kept on going on. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does to a person when they begins to enter in and begin to transform you. If Paul was in it for the money, why would he suffer such emotional scars and shameful retreatment? Paul is upfront with the Thessalonians. It's all about God. And he probably is telling the Thessalonians what he told the Philippians. He said, to die is gain. And to live is Christ. Hello? Amen. To die is gain, and to live is Christ. See, Paul's not a swing word. He's not one who comes into town with the latest miracle drug to take care of, of the disease that's rampant or find a new vaccine for town and then begin to sell some copycat articles like this, Pastor Benny said last week about the knockoffs and then just take off with the money. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't take the money and run. He doesn't preach and run. You know, there's a story told in Italy because one of our pastors, a Nazarene pastor in Italy, told me the story at a recent uh, General Assembly about four years ago now. And he said to me, this popular evangelist, if I was to say his name, you all know who he is. He's been on TV uh, for for years. He said he went into Italy and the pastors prayed for it, even the ones that really didn't agree with his doctrine and so on. But they got together because they wanted revival in Italy. And they got on the stage there, and there was about 60 or 70 Italian pastors and then this popular evangelist that you would know his name if I was to mention it. He came on, and about 15, 16 minutes into the service, the, the popular evangelist came in and said, I feel God telling me that we should take an offering. And they took the offering. As soon as they took the offering, he, said to the, he went to the mic and he says, I think God said that's enough for today. He took the money and he left. And he had a run because those Italian pastors, if they ever grabbed a hold of him, you wouldn't see another day on earth. It's a shame when we have this type of testimony with this type of, of influence in our world, all in the guise of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Paul's team never forsook their calling. Even in the amidst and intense suffering that they were involved in and the mistreatment that they went through, they always had their eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Who are you focusing in in this cynical world and hostile world that we live in today? Paul never threw his weight around either. His legacy was, you know. You know my life. You know how I live. You know what I do. You know what I say. You know how I act. Then he moves on in the chapter to a life of Christiformity has no hidden agendas. Verses 3 to 6. See, church history has its Full of hucksters, charlotte, silver-tongued salesmen, right? And they've been turned into Hollywood productions, you know, over the years. We have the gluttonous friars and monks on the many Canterbury trails in the Robin Hood films. Friar Tuck, you know, who brews the brew, drinks the beer, has a lot of fun. And that's the image that we have of a holy man, according to Hollywood. And then the famous Bert Lancaster, for those that remember Burt Lancaster. One of the most famous religious hucksters and charlatans. The movie entitled Elmer Gantry. Anybody see that one? Nobody remembers it. I got it on VHS somewhere. So it's O for Lancaster one. Boy, could he preach. And he was a traveling salesman going house to house selling vacuum cleaners. Probably filter queens. But anyway, he had a weakness. He had a weakness for women and money. Dare I say more? Women and money. He can manipulate his followers. He can have the listeners in the, in the palms of his hands. And he was full of gimmicks to get resolved. And he had intention of deceit. It wasn't innocent. It was intentional. When people intentionally deceive and try to harm you. And try to get something from you. Today there's a show on. It's uh, probably R-rated. It's called Preacher. And that person is nothing but a con man, a murderer, and a criminal. This is what the movie industry and what the media is trying to portray as pastors. There are a few good examples. Father Brown and Bing Cosby and Going My Way and, and, and maybe the guy from Seventh Heaven wasn't so bad. But for the most part, they look at these people in the town and these hustlers that are trying to peddle the gospel of Jesus Christ for gain. Was there ever a time in history in the church when some did not accuse Christian leaders and pastors of having impure moments? Right? This is where we're coming to, Almighty God, to you all our hearts are open, all desires known, no secrets hidden. Purity, purity. Scandal after scandal has made the headlines regarding pastors who have lied, embezzled, manipulated their congregations and becoming known for their multi, 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 multi-million dollar net worth and personal jet planes rather than their faithfulness to the message of King Jesus. And maybe you gave to some of those. Maybe you gave to some of those. So why does the public in the church always have a sneaking suspicion that some preachers are just slith, silver-tongued, hustlers, charlatans, wise guys, using their smooth-talking and seductive rhetoric as a way to line up their heard it before trust nobody everyone is only out for what they can get hello
1: trust nobody everybody is only out for what they can get that is cynicism to the
0: core it leads the church to withdraw from its divine commission hello are you paying attention it leads the church to withdraw from their commission to go into the world and to teach, and to baptize, and to preach, and to tell people to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we become a church that's full of cynicism, that we don't trust anyone in our lives, we draw back. And instead of moving forward toward the coming of Jesus, we're moving backwards to the Garden of Eden where disobedience was birthed. Hello? Hello? Have we become a political? picture of it. It's humorous, but it really speaks about our motives. A minister parked his car in a no-parking zone in a large city because he was short of time and couldn't find a a space with a meter. So he put a note under the windshield wiper that read, I have circled the block ten times. If I don't park here, I'll miss my appointment. Forgive us our trespasses. I guess this guy's trying tried to trying to say that it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. OK, so he left, that, he left that from the policeman that was coming or the parking meter official. When he returned from his appointment, he found a citation from a police officer with this note. I've circled this block for 10 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I'll lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. dangerous how we can manipulate the word of God to say what we want to say.
1: Right.
0: You know how some people say, well, I'm not going to obey what the government says according to COVID-19. But at the same time then they go to Romans 13 that you should obey your authorities, at the same time they go and use Romans 13 to agree with the statement that we should go to war and obey our leaders. So what is it? When do you obey? When it suits your own fancy or when it's can't understand what's going on, then you begin to attack the person. And now they're beginning to attack, not just Paul, they're talking, attacking the whole team. And to attack a person is to question their motives. You know, when you don't trust somebody, you begin to attack the person, you say, is he really doing that because he loves Jesus, or are they just trying to get away? something he or she believes will be helpful for the congregation. And then they're accused of making a power play of being this honest. The energy he or she wants to put into ministry ends up being directed to defend their ministry. You want to pour out your life like Paul. You want to give like Paul. You want to love like Paul. And then it turns out, oh, they've got a different interior motive. sentence and she says, while well, he interrupted and I say, because I know what you're going to say. She says, how do you know what I'm going to say? I've been married to you long enough that I should know what you're going to say. But then she says, you don't know what I'm going to say because you never know.
1: I could be thinking the wrong thing, right? We need to trust each other. And that's why Paul's trying to get that infant church,
0: that news Born Church in Christ to understand. You know, we know a story from a, a leader that we served under, and that he said, "I tried to be a pastor, and all I did was put out fire, one fire after another that I never." Caught up in cynicism and mistrust, and just go from one case problem to another case problem to another case problem to another case problem and start the circle all over again instead of ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ in His grace. If we don't watch it, we don't watch out. Paul, being wise, knows that motives are a difficult thing to really judge for us. How do you really know? How do you really know? And Paul gives the answer you know how you know? If the motives are true, who are you trying to please?
1: Sure.
0: Who are you trying to please? What's Paul say? I'm not here to please man. I'm not here to flatter you. I'm not here to say sweet words so I get you to do what I want you to do. You know? I'm not here for that. I'm here to please one person, and I have his approval. And he examines my life motives all the time. He turns the searchlight of the holy word of God whenever I read it. And he said, I'm speaking to you, Mike. I'm speaking to you. And that's God. God, when the church has become nothing but man-pleasers, it's on a downhill slide and has lost the evangelism's power and strength and thrust that God wants to give to us. You can't please everyone. You can't massage everyone. You can't just say words because you don't want to rock the boat. Sometimes you need to say words that rocks the boat and gets us
1: back on the direction and the course that God wants us to go. Hello? Hello? People, pleasers, are usually motivated by insecurity.
0: And that's why they go trying to please people rather than Do you have the blessed assurance that Jesus is mine? This is my story. This is my story. That security that in Christ. That I'm here to please only him. A pastor tweeted this recently. It's short to the point. A fellow pastor, he said, you're never going to please everyone. The end. That's a lesson that they should teach in Bible college to a lot of people. They should teach that to the boards, too. And we just ju- just get in this juggling act of who we're going to please and who we're not going to please and whose toe we're going to step on and whose toe we're not going to step on. Do we ever realize that sometimes we're stepping on Jesus' toes instead? Hello? <laughs> <Uh-oh. clears throat> With the explosion of social media in our days, we've seen the fraud, the flattery, the impure motives, the trickery of politicians and business executives and church leaders everywhere. And as a result, we've become pretty cynical about public people. Shame, isn't it? People that are motivated by greed, and Paul talks about that. And Paul talks about the Thessalonians earlier on, that they were delivered from the spirit of idols. And delivered from idols. And idols is greed. And greed is idols. Uh, I mean, they're the same thing. You just want more and more of what this world has to offer then instead of more and more about what Jesus has to offer. I want some holy greed. I about you? Some holy greed. I long to see more of Jesus. Even though I'm officially a senior now, and I'm officially senior at Traditions on Thursday. <laughs> I still am hungry for this word, for what it means, and to see people move in faith, hope, and love. The model church, three ingredients
1: that Pastor Betty brought. To our floor and to our knowledge last week. Paul ends this letter. If we go to the next slide. slide. He tells them that he's not in it
0: for money. He's not there to flatter them. He's not there to please them. He's not there for that reason. He does all of the above. But not for the reasons they think. Hello? He does all of the above. He cares. He loves. It says he nursed them like a he nursed them like a mother. That's pretty intimate, isn't it? Intimate picture there. He he cared for them. So he's, he's not smooth talking them. He's not trying them to do what he wants them to do. He's trying to nurse them so that they may grow and mature and be perfected and presented in holiness before the Lord God Almighty. He tells them that he loves them like a father, and that he encourages them along the whole way. When they do wrong things, he corrects them. He gets beside them. He goes along beside them. He doesn't stand as a distance. He gets close. The image of father and mother are very close images of intimacy. And we need to understand that. And then he's so brave to say how holy and righteous and blameless we were among those who believed. Wow. We shy away from talking. I don't know why. Christ has done a wonderful work in our heart. That's what it should be. Holy, righteous, and blameless. Blameless means not without a fault or without a mistake. All blameless means that there is no accusation from God against my life. No accusation. Everything Paul's team did among the Thessalonians was open and up front. Nothing was down, done behind closed doors. Hello?
1: Sorry.
0: Nothing was done behind closed doors or for ulterior motives. Everything up front. This is who I am. This is what you get. Lump it, love it, drop it, trash it, do whatever you want with it. This is, is who I am. This is
1: who I am. And he had an impeccable behavior. Remember what he told the Philippians? All the titles and
0: the positions that I had as a Benjaminite, as a person of the Pharisees, is all rubbish. If I were to use the vulgar
1: word that Paul actually used, some of you would begin to question my mothers. <laughs> Rubbish. In comparison to gaining Christ, he is all. One of our theologians and biblical scholars, Andy Johnson, talks about blameless and holiness. He says,
0: to live a holy life was intensely personal. I want you to follow me. We're coming near the end. Intensely personal. But never private. Hello? We live in a world influenced by the Enlightenment. We live in a a world that is influenced by by rugged individualism where everything is private and a little bit is public. But mostly it's my private life and don't bother me. And we brought that into the church. This is my private Christianity. Christianity and the faith in Christ can never be private. It's personal. not private, and it
1: always has an unavoidable public expression. Hello? Never private.
0: To live a Christ, uh, live a life of Christ is both personal and public, but never private. When we turn our faith into a private faith, we
1: do not reach the loss. Hello? simple for me, I don't know about you. personally, Public has to be. Has to be. Paul was
0: not interested in making himself the center of attention. His focus was always bringing glory to Jesus Christ, that Christ will thrive in the lives of the Thessalonians. Paul didn't just use words. His life story, his team story, revealed the message of Jesus Christ as King and Lord. It wasn't just Jesus is my Savior or He he came into my heart. It was, Jesus is now Lord and King. Denzel Washington once said that he grew up and his father was a preacher. The actor Denzel Washington I'm speaking about. And his mother was a godly person. And one person asked him, how many times did you come to the Lord? He said, a few times. You know how it is growing up in the church like that. I made more than one trip to the altar.
1: And, And then he said he had this
0: wonderful experience. The Holy Spirit came upon him in a really mighty way and he couldn't shake it off and he got grounded in Jesus Christ that day when that happened. Right? So it doesn't matter how many times you come to the altar because you never know what it's going to be. The moment. Amen. That moment. When everything turns upside down in your life and you begin to live like Christ. And that's so what Washington said these things. And it's the difference between connecting and committing. Okay? He says I connected with God. I had this wonderful spirit uh, experience, but I wasn't ready to live it. Hello? How many people in the church? I talk about the response after the response here.
1: I was ready
0: to connect with God, surrender my life. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes from a
1: charismatic background. So you know what's happening in his life there. But he wasn't ready to live it, to commit. There's a poem, and the full poem is on the website if you want to go read it. It's by a person named Edward Guest. It's called The Sermon the Sermon That Sees. This is what he said. And I think this guy understood Thessalonians right to the core, right to the center of his message. I'd rather see a sermon than
0: hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes are better people and more willing than the ear. Find counsel
1: is confusing, but examples are always clear. Examples always. I challenge you to live a life.
0: as the worship team comes at this time and we sing, Purify My Heart. You can't sing now, but you can respond. If you've only connected to Christ instead of committed to Christ, I pray that the Holy Spirit will begin to work in your heart. And if you've been full of cynicism all your life and don't trust anybody, maybe you need to hand that over to God and begin to trust
1: each other and trust uh, what God has put in store for And then we'll let him lead instead of letting
0: ourselves lead. Maybe we need to begin to please God. Who have you been trying to please? You've been trying to be a
1: people's pleaser, or you've been trying to be a God pleaser? Come and sing a song.